0: Good morning. It's a blessing to be here again, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this morning, I want to talk about a subject that uh, Harry and I were discussing a few weeks ago over a cup of coffee at McDonald's, where we buy our senior coffees, a dollar, refills, a great place to go, and it's always good to get together and kind of kick around ideas and in this case, Harry and I were talking about the woes of the world. Have you ever talked about the woes of the world? It seems like the world's a hard place to live at times. And we were just talking about some of the problems we faced as a nation, as a community, as individuals, as Christians. And we were just looking at the problems and trying to separate the Tweedledees from the Tweedledums. And we finally figured out we had an answer. We know what we need to do. We need to get back to telling people about Jesus because he is the answer. And um, after we talked for a while, we uh, agreed that, yeah, you know, evangelism is probably a good thing for us to think about this coming year. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not really sure what's going to happen this year. (laughs) Um, I do know this. The Lord is in charge. And whatever takes place takes place because he's working something out for his glory and our good. So in the meantime, there's a lot for us to do. And one of those things is evangelism. So I was uh, thinking, well, this morning I'd like to talk about Jesus the evangelist. And our text this morning is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And I'll read that for you, and then we'll pray. There, Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can be here today. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for our lives individually, collectively, as a church, as citizens of this community in which we live. And we pray now that as we consider this passage we just read in Matthew's gospel, that by your spirit, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that our hearts would be open to your word and that you would guide us and help us to think about the things that are coming this year and how we can be men and women who represent you. And we thank you and ask now that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to start by just kind of defining what I mean by evangelism. It comes from a word in the Greek text that means good message or good news. And really, the evangel, the good news is all about God, who he is, and what he's doing in and among us. And sometimes that's hard to see when we live in difficult times. Where's God? If God was here, why would this happen? Or if God was here, why would he let that happen? But the good news is that God is with us. He's among us. He's working in and through us, and that is good news, especially living in the world in which we live. And so an evangelist is someone who tells everyone, if you're really excited about something, you tell people, don't you? Have you ever been so excited about something that you thought, well, I'm not going to share this with anybody? And they're wondering, how come you're always smiling? Oh, just, just... Something great, something wonderful. Well, what is it? Yeah, you see, when when we're excited about something, when something means the world to us, we share that. We share that with others as we share it with everyone we can. And so as evangelists, we're called to share, to talk about the glad tidings of God's love and work of grace in a world that lacks hope you know the world lacks hope i mean just listen to the news read the papers if you still read the papers go online people seem to have no hope and that's because they don't know that there's a god who is working all things out according to the counsel of his will that's a hope that you and i who are believers have that the world doesn't have so when we think of about it, when we think of an evangelist i mean some people today may think, "Oh, yeah, I, I heard of some guy named Greg Laurie. You know, he he seems to be reaching a lot of people with with the message of the gospel." Now, some of us older folks might think, "Well, before he came along, we remember Billy Graham. We know he reached thousands, millions of people with the message of the gospel. That was last century. Can you believe that? That was last century." Some of you are laughing, but uh, <laughs> that was last century. <laughs> But, you know, the century before that, there was another man by the name of D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. And God used him in a great way, too, to reach people. That was in the 1900s. And before then, if you go back that far, the century before that, there was another man by the name of uh, George Whitfield. That was the 1700s. And God used him in a mighty way. But I don't want to talk about them as evangelists. God used them, and we're, we're... blessed because of their faithfulness. But I want to talk about Jesus, the evangelist. He's the one we want to learn about. He's the one we want to follow. He's the one we want to look to when it comes to evangelism. So Matthew tells us that Jesus was an evangelist. Now, how do we know that? Because he says that right there in the text, he said that he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. There's two kingdoms there's God's kingdom and there's man's kingdom. And I, I, I'm supposed to say there is the, the kingdom of humanity because it's not, I guess, politically correct name more to refer to those sort of nouns or something. Anyway, I'm from the, the last century, so forgive me. I don't know all this political correctness stuff. But there are two kingdoms. And Jesus was proclaiming in this kingdom of the world the kingdom of God And what that means. And so, as an evangelist, my first question is this. What did Jesus do? What did he do? Verse 35. Notice Matthew tells us, he went. He went. Where did he go? To all the people of his day. You know, in the text, when it says Jesus went, it wasn't like just from A to B. He went everywhere. And if you look at your Bible maps in the back of your Bibles, you'll see sometimes they'll have, like, the ministry of Jesus. He was going everywhere, everywhere, through all the towns, all the villages. And he went and he traveled. And as he did, he taught, he preached, and he healed every disease and sickness. Jesus taught in the synagogues. That means he gathered on Saturday, like we do on Sunday, and he would often teach, as the gospel writers tell us, which was his custom. He'd often, they would hand him a scroll, and he would open it up, and he would find a place, and he would teach from that passage in the Bible. And people would just be amazed. Never have we ever heard anybody teach like this man. So he taught. He also preached. He proclaimed. That means he went out in the byways and the highways He went out to the marketplace of ideas where people hung out, sort of the ancient day island as we have here in Sevier County. But he would go and he would proclaim the good news that God is among us, that God is in charge, and God has a plan for people's lives. So he taught, he proclaimed, he preached. But notice what else. Matthew says that he also healed every disease and sickness. Now, I want to tell you, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus literally, historically, actually, really, miraculously healed people. I have no doubt in my mind that when Jesus healed the blind, they could see. When he raised the dead, they were alive. When he fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, all those people had more than enough to eat. Jesus did the miraculous. But I find it interesting that the word Matthew uses here for healing, it means to cure. And we think of it in that sense that, hey, if if, if there was somebody who was lame, Jesus would touch them and they would be cured. They would be healed. But the word has much more connotation than just what we think of as miracles. The word is therapuo. That's the Greek word. We get our English word therapy from that. And the idea of therapuo is that it means to serve. It means to help. It means to take care of. It means to wait upon. It means to relieve. It means to rescue. You know, Jesus had this, profound ability to touch people's lives in such a way that no matter what they were going through, it was therapeutic. It was healing. The math. Uh, one of the gospel writers tells us that the people heard him gladly because when they heard him speak, it brought healing to them. It brought hope. Um, I uh, was thinking about a time in our life uh, about 10 years ago our daughter passed away and it was devastating and we still we still struggle with it today and it's one of those things you ask lord why where were you how, how could you let this happen and it's amazing some of the responses you get from well-meaning people like don't let the devil steal your joy brother you know or uh, you know god works all things for the good of those who love him and it's like yeah i know and you know, but I don't really need that right now. <laughs> what I need is just somebody to cry with me and someone to weep with me. And I remember uh, we'd taken some time off just to work through that difficult time as uh, a family. And finally, Margot went back to work, and uh, Margot retired from NASA. She worked for the fire department. She's really smart. I still have almost 50 years. I'm wondering, why did she marry me? I don't know what happened, but I, I took. she was 20. I was 22. I took advantage of her Her being naive and young. But anyway, um, but she went back to work, and of course uh, Margo had to do fire inspections and sign permits, and so she she knew a lot of the contractors that worked on what we call the space shuttle, the orbiter. And one of the uh, areas that Margo was assigned to was what was called the mobile launch platform. Got it, Margo? Got it, okay. And I don't know if you know much about the shuttle program, but that was that massive machine i mean this thing when you when you saw it it was like whoa this thing i mean one tread i think weighed like th- 5000 pounds something like that i mean they had it was just like it was just this massive machine and it was really big and you you've seen it where the the orbiter or the shuttle would be taken out to the launch pad from the the big building well with that machine that was carrying this uh, orbiter the, the shuttle margo would have to go and sign off burn permits because the contractors would do welding and stuff like that. So she had just gotten back to work and um, a couple of guys had told her that uh, one of the contractors had just lost his wife. And Margo knew this guy because she worked with him for years and he was always very pleasant, always very jovial, very easy to work with, a nice guy. But she got there and she noticed he was sitting on the edge of the orbiter, or not the orbiter, the platform. And he was just sitting there and Margot, if I have the story right, uh, Margot went over and sat down next to him and said, "I, I understand you—you you just lost your wife." And he was like, "Yeah." And then she said something very profound to him. She said, "Tell me about her." And this man just poured his heart out, poured his heart out about his wife—he lost the love of his life—and he just poured her heart out to her. And Margot just sat and listened. And, you know, that brought their appeal to this man. That brought a sense of healing like somebody cares. That's the kind of healing Jesus does in people's lives. So he went teaching, preaching, and healing. So why did Jesus do that? That's our next question, verse 36. Matthew tells us because he saw the needs of the people. So as Jesus went, deliberately going to reach out to people to touch their lives, as he went, he saw. Now, Matthew's using a verb there. It means it wasn't like, oh, did you see that? Or, oh, I saw that. He was looking. He was observing what was happening. He wasn't just, you know, going and noticing things. He was intentionally looking to see people because he wanted to touch their lives. He wanted to make a difference. And so he saw the needs of the people. He was well acquainted with their suffering. He understood their spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental struggles. You know, sometimes we forget that people have problems. And sometimes. I get upset if I don't understand what this person's going through and maybe they, well, maybe they're just not living up to my expectations. And sometimes I'm not looking, I'm not listening, and I'm not seeking to minister to this person because, well, there's something wrong. But Jesus understood these people's needs. He he tells us, Matthew does, that They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to provide for them, no one to protect them, and yet their lives were lives full of sorrow. But Jesus tells us in John's gospel that he's the good shepherd, that he came to tend God's flock. That's good news. That is amazing news that God would care about any of us that he would send his son to shepherd us, to provide for us, to protect us, to watch over us. Matthew tells us that Jesus did this because not only was he looking to change people's lives, he tells us that Jesus was moved by compassion. Now, the translation there doesn't really bring out What Matthew's saying, literally, it means Jesus was impacted. He was he he was feeling the pain of these people. The word in there, and I love this word because it's so raunchy sounding. It's splachna, splachna. Now that's a that's actually a medical term, um, and it means it means the wrenching of the gut. The wrenching of the gut. You know when you wrench something, like you have a wet cloth and you're wringing the the water out of it? You're wrenching it? Well, that's the kind of pain Jesus felt when he looked at these folks. He went looking to see who he could bring healing to. And when he saw their suffering, it literally wrenched his gut. Now, the closest thing I could think of that is, Maybe experience a case of uh, IBS, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, because that's what it relates to. And in that culture, when somebody was feeling compassion, it wasn't simply, "Oh, I I can I can sympathize with your pain." Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that. It was more than that. It was imp- imp- uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. Empathetic. Thank you, Margot. She's there. Remind me of the words empathizing. He felt the pain. He could feel what they were suffering because he's a good shepherd. He understands their pains, their bereavements, their sorrows. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because he got involved. He got involved. He went. He saw and, you know, someone once told me when I was a young pastor, when I you was know, fresh out of, you know, Bible college and going to seminary, back when I thought I had the, oh, I thought I had the answers, but anyway. Um, and I could, you know, pontificate, you know, what you need to do if you're having this problem or you're not successful here, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, someone once told me, you know, Pastor Stan, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care ouch but you know it's true and Jesus who is a loving shepherd just showed forth his compassion I hurt for you I care about you I want your life to be whole that's the kind of evangelist Jesus was and is today so third question How do we follow Jesus' example today? How does this apply to you and me today living in 2024 here in Sevier County? Well, notice what Jesus says in verses 37 and 38. I'll read that again. Then he said to his disciples, Stop. Show of hands. Who here considers him or herself to be a disciple of Christ? Okay, so... With that in mind, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, and as the old rule of thumb goes, when you see a therefore, see what it's there for. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We need, like Jesus, to be engaged. You know, you've heard of couch potatoes, right? What's a couch potato? Do they still use that term? Yeah, what's a couch potato? Anybody tell me? It's a, it's a person who to sit on the couch and watch, watch TV all day. That's right, Heather, thank you. That's a perfect answer. Well sometimes we Christians can become pew potatoes. You know, we sit in church, and we've done our weekly thing, and then we go home and continue on being couch potatoes. (laughs) We need to be engaged. There is a world out here all around us. There's a world right here within this building. People need to hear the good news. We need to be engaged because Jesus points out the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. There's a big job to do until the Lord comes back. We don't have time to be pew potatoes. Um, we need to be busy about the Lord's work. Now, last year, I was reading some statistics about Sevier County, and conservatively, there's an, estimate, an estimation that about 11 million visitors come here annually. Some people say more, some people say less. Um, And yet there's only a little less than 100,000 residents who live here in the whole county. There's less than 100,000 of us who live here. Wow, that's quite a big difference in the people who are here. That means most of the people when we leave here today are people we will probably never see again this side of glory because they're just passing through. And yet they're here on vacation, and I wonder maybe God put it in their heart I want you to go to Sevierville today or this week on vacation. Have a good time because I have something special planned for you. Yeah. You think God might work that way? I think sometimes we forget that. But there's less than 100,000 of us who live here. And yet, on the other hand, the same statistic report that I read said only about 50% of Sevier County residents attend church occasionally. So that means somewhere around 50,000 of us occasionally go to church. And that's a reality that I think most churches, denominations in the United States are feeling today. Less and less people are going to church and less and less people are, are involved with evangelism. Um, Francis Schaeffer put it this way. We become a society of personal peace and affluence. Personal peace meaning, I know there's problems, but don't bother me. It's not my problem. Besides, I want to stay here at home and enjoy my stuff. I know, Ouch. <laughs> But only 50% at best attend church here occasionally. That means as evangelists, you and I who are sharing the good news about the hope that we have in Christ, that one day Jesus will return. He really will one day return. Regardless of what our denominational distinctive may be about that, we all agree on this. One day Jesus is coming back. I'm so glad about that. How about you? Yes. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I don't know why we don't think like that anymore. It seems like we forgot subjects like eternity and Jesus' return. But one day he's coming back. But as evangelists wanting to share that good news, right here, right here in our own home county, we're outnumbered to say the least. We've got 11 million people visiting. We've got half of the county who don't even go to church anymore or maybe not at all. have never been to church. How do we reach these people? How can we possibly reach that many people? Well, we need to pray, Jesus says. <laughs> and let me tell you, when Jesus says ask, the word ask there, it's not a suggestion or a recommendation, Oh, well, maybe we should pray. Oh, that's a good recommendation, Jesus. Yeah, maybe that would work. It's an imperative. It means it's a command. Jesus said to his disciples, being who in this room? You need to be praying, asking. The word literally means, and I know this may not be nice to hear this, but it means to beg. Beg. It's the type of prayer request that it's not like, okay, Lord, I want to inform you or I'd like to instruct you on what we could do or what you could do for us. It's not that kind of prayer at all. It's the type of prayer that says, Lord, I plead with you. Send out workers into this harvest field where you've placed us. Send out. Now, that's a really neat word. It's the word ekbalo. Ek is that preposition It means out, you know, away from. And balo is where we get the word ballistic. Lord, would you please throw us out there? Please throw us out there because we won't go if you don't put a burden in our heart. If you don't remind us of why we're here to be a light in a dark place, to be salt in a lifeless world, if, if we're not asking you to do that, we'll end up doing other things. Not that other things are wrong, but we need to ask. We need to pray. We need to plead. Lord, send us out to your work. Why would we need to to do that? Because the work of evangelism is impossible without his divine help. There's the point. No matter what programs, no matter what projects we want to come up with, if the Lord's not in it, it's not going to work. We can't do anything without him. We need him. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Wow, that's good news. You mean, God wants to use me? Who am I? Now, don't answer that. But who am I? I'm a a nothing. I'm a nobody. And yet God says, but I use the weak and the lowly. I use the nobodies. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and he he was telling me that, uh, you know, unless somebody has a license to evangelize, they have no business doing that. And I thought, you little Pharisee, you. Seems like Peter and John were in the temple preaching and the religious leaders said, we told you not to speak in this man's name. How dare you? And Peter said, how can we not but do what God's called us to do? Who are you? And then they noticed something. They realized they had been with Jesus. They didn't have any degrees. They were probably illiterate. They were probably considered lower class people. But you know what? They had been with Jesus. And because they had been with Jesus, he had touched their lives. And he said, now I want you to go into all the world and preach the same gospel to everyone. So they said, how can we not do this? We We have a commission. It's a great one. It's not easy. We can't do it without the Lord. And that's why we pray, because we can't do it. Without his enabling. Now, this work of evangelism, and when I think evangelism, I think of proclamation. You know, we're telling people about the, the good news. And that involves, when they ask us questions, explanation. Well, what do you mean Jesus is coming back? What do you mean Jesus died from me? Well, you just said that. Explain it. What do you mean by that? But there's not only proclamation explanation but there's also that ministry of application let me share with you let me be a part of your life you know God sends some of us to sow seeds you know like like the farmer we go out and we cast seed and and it's not our responsibility to go and say well this looks like a good story plot of soil. I'll stick a seed there. I don't want to waste any. That's not how they did that. They used to cast seed. They had a big bag of seed and they would, they would throw the seed out and it would go everywhere. Even in areas that were not prepared. But they went ahead and that's how they used to cast seed. So God sends some of us out to the highways, the byways, and, and maybe it doesn't seem like the most strategic way to do things, but we just cast seed. We share the word. So when he sends us out to the mission field, that's what he wants us to do. It could be domestic right here where we live or foreign missions work. Today we're going to pray for the work that's going on in the Ukraine. Some are sent to water those seeds that were planted. Now, maybe I haven't planted a seed, but somebody else, maybe one of you was sharing with somebody, and I happened to run into that person, and they said, oh, yeah, so-and-so was just talking to me about that. And now I have an opportunity to water that seed that's been planted. Some of us do that in evangelism. And some of us have the privilege of reaping the harvest that has been grown in God's garden, which he providentially brought about anyway. So we all have a, we all have a, a part in this. And we just don't plant seeds. We just don't water. We just don't reap the harvest. Sometimes we get to do all those things. Sometimes we just do some of those things. But we do it all together. So as I close now, I just want to state this, that within the church, not just Evergreen, but in general, the church, there are some people who have the gift of evangelism. It really is true. If you read Paul's writings on spiritual gifts, there are certain people God raises up to be evangelists. I mean, you can't deny it. This person just seems to just be able to speak very easy, very simply. And thousands of people are like coming to the Lord. I mean, you know, I tend to complicate muddy things, so I don't have that kind of gift. But there are people who are gifted as evangelists. And there's also the office office. Evangelists. Jesus gave that office to the church. Like there are elders, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are pastors, there are teachers. There are people that God equips supernaturally to be evangelists and puts them in a position under the authority of the church to function as God has placed them there. Be that as it may, though, We all have a part in evangelism. And although we're not all evangelists in the technical sense, nonetheless, we are called individually and collectively to share the good news of God's kingdom with the fallen world in which we live. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, I won't read it, but you remember the passage. Paul's saying... All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who responds to the call of God on their life, here's the good news. They're not only going to be saved, they'll be saved, and one day they'll be saved. You know, this whole process, I was saved, I'm being saved, and I shall be saved. That whole wonderful process of God's work of grace that he does supernaturally in the lives of those he calls through the gospel? Well, that's our part in the, in the work of evangelism. So we, we do that as a church, but not just as a church collectively, but as individually as disciples who are a part of the church. So let me just say this. and I mean, this is, I'm closing now. A word to the wise. If I had a mirror, I'd be holding it right here. But a word to the wise, God is not looking for our abilities. Think about that. God's not looking for our ability. Well, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use her because he or she, they're, they're really good at that. God doesn't need our ability. You know what God's looking for? Our availability. Here my Lord. Send me. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't even do this stuff. But, Lord, you put it on my heart. And like you, I see the need. I feel the pain. I want to bring hope to people in a world that is dead. Not dying. A world that is dead in trespasses and sins. The only hope they have, the only hope we have, is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And if he could save us, why do we think he can't save these other folks? You know, I look back at the early, or the late 60s, early 70s, back in the hippie time when I was a Jesus freak, you know. And uh, I look back at that time and I think, you know, in some ways, what was happening back then isn't any different than what's happening today. It's the same thing. It's a little word called sin. S-I-N, sin. And the world's full of sinners. (laughs) And sometimes I have to remember that, well, if God could save people like me, thousands of us in my generation, why would I assume that he can't do the same today with people that I don't get (laughs) or I don't understand? Why would I be afraid of wanting to reach out to them and say, there's a God who loves you He sent his son to save you. And no matter what your suffering is, or no matter what your sin or your sorrow may be, Jesus is the answer. God can do that. But he doesn't need my abilities to do that. God, could could you imagine what it would be like if God depended on us? (laughs) Oh, well, no more hope. (laughs) Nothing glad to talk about here. No, he doesn't need our abilities, but he does want our availability. In other words, he wants us to partner with him. Wow, that's kind of exciting. You mean God has a purpose for me? God wants to use me? What do I have to offer? Nothing. Nothing. But let me tell you about what God has to offer us. Let me tell you what God does in people who are useless. He equips, He enables, and He empowers us by His Spirit to do the work He has called us to do in reaching others. Think about that. I have nothing to claim. Nothing except Jesus. And in that relationship with Jesus, the God of glory, the sovereign God of the universe, like you, he equips, he empowers, he enables us to engage in the work of evangelism. And he does this by his spirit. You know, One of the dangers I think we face today in our culture, our church culture, is we're modeling ourselves too much after the business world and not enough after the biblical world. You see, we're more concerned about getting our programs going, so we're looking for volunteers, and we forget that God's program is looking for disciples, We can get so busy as Doug, Doug, Doug. (laughs) Senior moment here. David, there we go. Pray for me. (laughs) David was pointing out the the other week about the church in Ephesus. I know your works are wonderful, but you've lost your first love. You've forgotten about why you're doing this. It's not about the programs. It's not about the projects. It's about the people. And so God gives us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And yet, let's remember now that without him, we can do nothing. But by his grace, we can do everything he has called us to do. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the living God who loves us. Sinners. The proof of that is seen in every one of our lives here today, Lord. You had every right to just pass us by, to allow us to suffer the rest of eternity for our just punishment, for our sins, and yet you graciously sent your Son to bring life to us. Forgiveness of sin. And not only that, Father, you have made us your people, peculiar people, unique people, and yet people that you give gifts to, that you pour your spirit upon, and that he also dwells within us. And so we pray that as we face this coming year, whatever may come, as we hear the bad news, every time we hear the bad news, remind us we've got good news. That there is hope and there is a future. And though the world may be mad, we have glad tidings. And that is Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.